This is the big one. It's Revelation. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a hundred charts to bring out. It's just going to be great. No, no, not really. <clears throat> uh, our reading, uh, if you're using the Pew Bible, page 1028. And instead of... Uh, doing a big, long introduction, I prefer to jump right into the book and then along the way introduce things as as they come just so we can immediately get into the book. So we will be uh, looking at the first four verses uh, in Revelation. If I can possibly read this, uh, these letters... Okay, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending the angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy And blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Let's pray. Lord, give us grace as we come to this credible word, um, that we will grow from it, that, Lord, we, as John commands us, uh, will keep it. Uh, Lord, may it comfort us and strengthen us, stand against the evils of persecution and pleasure and perverted teaching that the church will ever face in this world. Give us insight, Lord, to the true story of our reigning King Jesus, who is bringing all things to his ordained conclusion in the destruction of evil and the rescue of his people in perfect joy forever. Oh, Lord, encourage us by this wonderful book that you've given to us through uh, John, the apostle. And, Lord, bless it by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This is uh, a book that I taught in Sunday school uh, 2012, I spent a whole summer uh, on it, and uh, and we have a, in our former church, we have a lecture hall with a big white board, and it's just a place where you go to town, you know, in, in teaching. Uh, so I won't be able to do all that uh, I would do, because I have just a small little sheet. We have the sheet because the board had so much reflection, you couldn't even read it. So uh, I'm not complaining, I'm just saying... I may fumble a little here, here and there doing this. But in John, if, if, you, if you've read him in the original language compared to like Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, his, his Greek is really thick and hard, at least for somebody stupid like me. Um, Hebrews is really thick and hard in terms of, of Greek. John's Greek, on the other hand, is is simple. It's Semitic. That is, it's Greek done by 
a Jewish guy, you know. And so it's written very simply. I wasn't prepared. I, I knew Revelation. I mean, I studied some in seminary and that kind of thing. I wasn't prepared for the profundity of this book. The incredible grasp John has on the Old Testament, Daniel and Ezekiel in particular, but how he got inside of those books and just did an exposition of, they said this, this world is coming, this, this kingdom is coming, and then in the most beautiful language that draws from them, he's saying in Revelation, it's here. It's happening now. What Daniel talked about, of this kingdom, it has hit the ground and we are in the middle of it right now. And giving comfort to God's people in this beautiful picture book manner uh, of what's really going on in spite of what they may be facing. So it's, it's a picture behind the scenes of what God is doing, what Christ is doing, uh, what, where we're headed so that we can be grounded in the midst of persecution and worldliness that surrounds us at all times. So we'll, uh, just a, just an argument, just a, an advertisement for how uh, wonderful uh, this, this book is and how hopefully it will function in our lives. And you can see uh, a lot in this opening uh, section because it's uh, of just several different words. First of all, as you had there in your, your handout, uh, handouts aren't supposed to have a one if there's not a two, so apologize. You can just mark that one out uh, right there. Um, it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ, obviously the book of Revelation. But this word apocalypse is the word for revelation. And that means right off the bat, it's not an obscuration, a hiding of Jesus Christ. It's an unveiling that Jesus Christ is giving us. Uh, these passages that I have listed, here's where that word is, is used. For instance, Romans 8, 19, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God in the final day. Or the second, I'm just reading out those verses you have there. 1 Corinthians 1, you're not lacking in any gift as you wait the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ in the final day. That's not going to be a hiding of Jesus Christ. It's going to be the revealing of Jesus Christ. Or 2 Thess there, to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. 1 Peter 1 speaks of the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.13, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or 1 Peter 4, be glad when his glory is revealed. So Jesus is not hiding anything from us, but he's revealing to his servants what must soon take place. So off the, right off the bat, you and I shouldn't think, well, everything's all hidden and obscure in the book of Revelation. You can't get at it because it's all covered up and buried in P 
pictures and wild things that go on. No, it's not. It's really not. It's here to show you, to show me, to show his servants what must soon take place. So take that word seriously. It's a revelation of uh, Jesus Christ. This word apocalypse, uh, we know from movies like Apocalypse Now or it's an apocalyptic scene after everything has been destroyed. But in those days, it referred to, and these are words from Dennis Johnson, in the ancient sense of unveiling and disclosing in vivid visual form the invisible realities and forces that drive and explain the course of what we see in history. So he's, the Apocalypse uses these vivid uh, visual form, picture form, uh, of the invisible powers and realities that are running things in this world. Of course, all governed by King Jesus himself. Um, so it's, it's a kind of unusual literature that they were accustomed to. So we have to come at it from a little bit more distance than they do because they were used to this kind of, of uh, literature. But you notice where it says in that section to show his servants the things that must soon take place, not keeping them in the dark. He knows their need just like in Matthew 6 where uh, Jesus uh, says, your father knows what you have need of before you ask, as he's talking about prayer. Well, the, God knows what we have need of. We need to know what's going on. We need to know how to make sense of what's happening in this dark and confusing world. And he meets our need in this book. So I'm just priming you to think, we're going to understand stuff in this book. We're not going to walk away scratching our hands and say, well, I, I knew more before I went in there. I don't mean just tonight, but I mean hopefully in the whole series, right, uh, that we do. So he's not hiding things. He's disclosing. He's not trying to confuse us with a bunch of weird stuff. He's unveiling these behind-the-scenes forces that are involved in his unchanging plan so that we can make sense of our ever-changing circumstances. So, to show his servants these things that must soon take place. And notice, he says, he made it known. There again, you see, all of these are revealing words. He made it known by sending his angel, the servant John. And you'll see at the end of verse 2, even to all that he saw, to all that John saw, saw. And this doesn't just mean he saw words. It means particularly he saw stuff. He saw scenes, right? He saw glorious, shocking pictures of things. It's like a, this is a movie we're about to watch, right? It's a grand movie with shifting scenes that, that go before our eyes and, and it's just crazy and wild. But as we look where it's taken from the Old Testament, we'll see, we see what it means and, and what God is saying to us. 52 times John is the subject of I or 
I saw. So the whole thing is about what he saw, what he saw, what he saw. So it's going to be about what we see. We keep seeing it. We see the pictures. We see the scenes. We see the movie. Vern Poitras, in his little commentator, brilliant little commenta- uh, commentary, says that um, he was teaching a, a, a kids one time, and a 12-year-old boy, uh, they got to talking about Revelation, and a 12-year-old boy uh, raised his hand, and he said, oh, I read it. I loved it. He said, it's like a fantasy, but it's true, Right? And then he was teaching a seminary course later, and a seminary student, he told that story, and a seminary student said, you know what, I read it when I was 12, and I thought it was fantastic. And he said, he's like in his 20s, and he said, and I've understood it less and less the older I get. (laughs) (laughs) So you're best if you're a 12-year-old, and you love pictures, you love wild things, Uh, so some of us may have to work harder at that, but... Uh, it's it, it obvious the point Porthos is making, you can understand this book. A 12-year-old can understand this book. Uh, these guys uh, at seminary were playing in their gym or they were somewhere, a group of Christians playing in the gym and they happened to notice a janitor and he was reading the Bible and they wondered if they might help him or you know assist him some way and he's, they said, well, what are you reading? He says, well, I'm reading the book of Revelation. And they thought, oh, oh, poor thing, you know. Well, have you learned anything from it? He says, oh, yeah, Jesus is going to win. You know, <laughs> he got that. And that's one of the things that you keep as an umbrella over the whole of this book. It's just fundamentally saying, as we'll see in a second, but Jesus is king and he's going to be victorious over everything. That's the message that John wanted to give these people who are suffering so terribly and undergoing all kinds of uh, temptations is that Jesus is in control of everything. And then one last story about that. One charismatic uh, pastor was about to teach uh, Revelation and the Lord, the Spirit, you know, spoke to him in some way to uh, tell him, I, I think you, sh- or impressed upon him, you just need to read it to them. And he was kind of hesitant, but he had that urging that he should just read uh, the book of Revelation. So what they did is he would read a section of Revelation, then they would have prayers and hymns and praises, and then he'd read another section. And they'd have hymns and praises and prayers And they went through the whole book of Revelation like that. Really not explaining anything so that the power of the word as it is, even without explanation, uh, grew them and caused them to worship God in, in wonderful ways. I throw all these out just to encourage you. We can get at this book by God's grace and it can it can change us. So let's not, you know think about it in a way that's not really the case. Um, So, uh, another thing along those lines is not to get bogged down on details, but the overall story. And I have that there for you. Jesus rules history. He will destroy all evil. He will rescue his people and bring them into everlasting joy. 
Okay, let us pray. <laughs> but that's the book, right? That is the book. Uh, probably every thread basically is bound up in that. We'll see in uh, chapters 4 and 5 that he is given the scroll. He's the only one worthy because he's the one who has died and uh, shed his blood for his people. And so he is the worthy one who can rule the world. And then you see the final denouement in chapter 20, uh, 19 and 20 where he finally completely defeats all forces. Now, just throw this in. This is something that you look forward to as we go through Revelation. It goes through cycles so that we go through the whole of human history and then we go back through the whole of human history at least four times. Uh, some would say five, but at least that many times. And that's why in uh, chapter 7, you have this glorious description of heaven. And you think, this must be the end of the book. But it's not the end of the book. So the descriptions of heaven at the end of each cycle just get bigger and bigger. And finally, you're into chapter 21 and 22. Um, so that, that's something that's coming. But that's, that's how John is showing he rules history. Look how it ends. Let's, let's say it again. He rules history. Look how it ends. L let's go through it again. He rules history. Look how it ends. You see, just that, rep that Jewish sense of rep repetition to drive the point home so that you cannot, it cannot escape you. Uh, he rules history, and it's going to end well for those who are faithful uh, to him. And it's interesting Two, where he says, uh, to, blessed are the one who reads and blessed are those who hear. That's why I have that word underscored. Because even in hearing it, you, th you think, well, I have to have it written down. I've got to have notes. I've got to write and look back and forth and all this. No, just the reading of it. It was expected that you will get it. You will understand it. Um, Again, apocalyptic literature was familiar, and though this differs in some ways from uh, non-Christian apocalyptic uh, literature, it's still, uh, they were familiar with the, the medium. Um, so they could just hear it read. And notice, blessed are those who read and blessed are those who hear. So the understanding is the reading and just hearing of this uh, is the medium for God to bless his people. You don't have to have experts in there. You don't have to have somebody explaining all the parts of it. And you don't have one here either. <laughs> but, but we are going to talk through it and, and study it. It does bear uh, up under study, and, it, it, and it's wonderful. But then another word I have here is uh, the word keep, which means literally, uh, as I say there, take to heart. Uh, this is the word that John uses uh, uh, to translate Jesus' words in John 14, where if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Um, that's 14, 15, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Um, and First John 2, the same thing. We know if we keep his commandments that we belong to him. If we don't keep his commandments, we're liars and the truth is not in us. But all those strong words of keeping the word, 
And this, I think, is a surprising word to us. If you've been exposed, as I have in the past, to words about charts and times and when it's going to happen and what the latest helicopter, how that relates to Revelation and all that kind of stuff, keeping this word would mean nothing to me at the time. But this is a word that is an exhortation to us, obviously. To keep it, it must have commands about it. It must have something that we're to believe and to follow and to live out in our lives. And we don't tend to think of Revelation like that. But right up front, it says, blessed is he who reads it and hears it and keeps it. As though you're reading the Ten Commandments, you know, as though you're reading Proverbs or something like that. So this is a book uh, that is not to just wow us with pictures, but it's a book that we must obey and live out in our lives. And that's encouraging to me as we jump into it to think, okay, okay, uh, I'm going to go after this and not miss what God has for me to change my life. So, uh, two, I would just say in, in summary that this is a revelation of the glory, the sovereignty, and the victory of God. That's a, a good summary way to say that's what revelation is about and why that janitor says Jesus wins in the end, right? It's a revelation of the glory, sovereignty, and victory of God seeing in 3D images seeing things from God's perspective about history, about life, about conflict, about suffering, good and evil, seen from God's perspective, showing how evil evil is because evil is run by a beast uh, which represents the uh, state power in this world. It's represented by a prostitute who stands for the pleasures uh, illicit pleasures of this world, a false prophet who is putting out perverted teaching in this world. So we're inundated, you know, with all of these attacks that are pictured so vividly to show us how dangerous they are, how destructive they are, how full of evil, and how controlled by the evil one they are. Um, that there are really two sides everywhere. It reminds me of John's own words in 1 John 5 that the whole world lies in the hands of the evil one. The whole world. Not, not believers, but those who are part of the world that opposes God, they're all in the hand of the evil one. So there is this, there's no middle ground where well, I don't really, I'm not really with Christ, but certainly I don't follow Satan. Eh, sorry, it's not, you're not offered that option. You've got two rulers in this world, and Revelation really makes that vivid and graphic uh, for us. And in so doing, it helps us, it helps steel us believers against those forces because it's like the evil is stripped away and you're shocked by it, and you realize, gosh, my temptations are connected to that. They're not innocent. They're terrible. Uh, so it's very good for us in that regard. Uh, also, Revelation, in revealing God's glory, will reveal, 
It's kind of like symbols in motion throughout the book, and they reveal constant paradoxes where on the ground we look like the battered trash of the world that's getting killed every which way, and yet we're the future kings and queens of the world. And evil forces seem so strong, but in the end, they're just tossed in a fire and burned up, you know. So it becomes clear who's who, you see, in this story. And it, it turns things that look upside down to us as we look around right side up so that we can see them. And we see them vividly in these uh, pictures that are offered to us. Um, <clears throat> these uh, interpret. Uh, these are the four basic interpretive approaches to Revelation. Um, <clears throat> the first, preterist, would uh, mean that, let's say, here's, wait, tell that I need to draw bigger. All right, 70 AD is a big event because this is the fall of Jerusalem, Okay. And then we'll say all of history until the coming of Christ. So preterists think that Revelation, this may seem weird to us, but Revelation is basically describing what happened in the first century. And this is not a rare but very common view. And let me just give an example of where that has some weight because I'll read this section from Matthew 24 that may be familiar with and we have certain assumptions about what it means, right? So here is Revelation. Let me get bigger print, sorry. I just grabbed that coming out of the office. Not quite enough light here. So, Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Clearly about what? Second coming of Christ, right? <laughs> you read Luke's version of this, Luke chapter 21. Same, same discourse, same event, but notice how Jesus describes it there. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Jesus is describing this event, 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem. And he says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Don't run into the city because the city is doomed. That's the tendency. We've got to get in the city and get behind the protective walls. You get out of there. And it is true that Christians fled uh, the area because of what Jesus had said. These are days of vengeance, etc. And then he says, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and the earth distress of nations 
because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. What? So, I tend to hold that Jesus, comparing Genesis, uh, Luke 21 with Matthew 24, is describing the fall of Jerusalem because stars, moon, and sun are the rulers of the night and the day in Genesis uh, 1, right? They're the rulers. So they've come to represent rule. They represent sovereignty on the earth. And again and again in the Old Testament, when God says, I'm going to destroy this nation or that nation, he'll say, the sun will be darkened, the moon will be, they're going to be white. It's an image, it's a picture of the destruction of a power on earth in the destruction of the moon, the sun, and the stars. So, not arguing for this particularly for Revelation, but just showing it's not maybe as easy as we might think. Another thing is that if you look at the futurist view, and I'm about to shut her down here, um, if you look at the futurist view, it thinks that everything is going to happen, most of Revelation, or maybe we should make it this close, it's all going to happen right here. Right at the very end is what's described. That's you know, getting left behind and all those books, dispensational stuff, it's all right at the end, and that's where Revelation. Well, let me just ask, what is that going to do for the people of the first century who are receiving this letter? You know, going to write a whole bunch of stuff here, but it doesn't have anything to do with you. <laughs> you just, you won't be around, but got to get it out there, you know, let people know what's coming eventually, that kind of thing. No, you're to keep this word, not just the letters to the churches, but every chapter in there. You're to keep this word because this is for you in your situation. So a preterist would say, you see, it was written to them. You know, a futurist doesn't care about that. He says, we know this is all in the future. Well, you can maybe tell that I don't fully agree with this. But here's the point. I, I take an idealist, an idealist position. The historicist is probably the weakest because they try to fit revelation into the whole history of 2,000 years. And you go through a whole bunch of, you know, dancing and shifting and trying to fit things that don't fit to make it look like it's talking about those events. Um, and all the guys I respect would say the his, historist is the weakest of the two. But idealist, uh, as uh, it says here, that the visions represent principles that always apply to God's people. And especially as uh, the idealist has this Going through, it could be circles, but you could do it like this. Going through history again and again to lay out the principles that there's going to be horrible persecution for God's people and God's people will be delivered. There's going to be terrible persecution and pressure on God's people again, again, and again, but God will deliver. Um, so it applies to all God's people at all times, but we recognize it applied to the first century and we recognize it does have uh, things that pertain to the very end of time, like in chapter 19, 
or, or at the end of each of these cycles, see, at the end of each of these cycles, you kind of get to this period. But that's not all that it's about. So we'll, uh, as, as it's unfolded, we'll uh, get into further how we approach Revelation. But I just want to leave you with this, these things of the glory of God that we're going to see, the glory of Christ's reign, the reality of what God's people face in this world, but the security that as we entrust ourselves to Jesus Christ, again and again, as it says in the letters, he who overcomes, he who overcomes, every letter, he who overcomes. So it's a whole book written to persecuted, suffering believers to continue to entrust yourself to Christ because he rules he rules. Don't give in to these temptations because they're all going to be cast in the lake of fire in the end. Continue to entrust yourself to Jesus Christ. Well, let us pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for this book. Uh, thank you for the opportunity we have to uh, study this. And, Lord, may we hear it and may we keep it. Lord, may we be encouraged by it. Uh, may we be built up the vision of Jesus Christ that is in uh, this book. Uh, Lord, may we be warned by it. Uh, may we conform our, li our lives all the more uh, to the ways of our glorious King, Jesus Christ. Bless us. For your namesake we pray. Amen.